everyone. Welcome to our Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast. I'm your host, Angie Miller, and today we are going to talk about a very special topic called How Movement Improves Memory and Cognition. And I think that this is such a powerful topic for all of us because no matter our age or stage in life, the reality is we're all going to age. Every day we're a little bit older. And as we age, how can we use that powerful practice of movement to keep our memory intact and to keep our cognitive health well? So today I have my guest is not only an expert in this field, but I'm proud to call him a friend. His name is Carl Sterling. He's an NASM master trainer, and Carl has a wealth of knowledge on working with those who have memory concerns, such as different types of dementias like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. So I know that Carl is going to share a wealth of knowledge for us as fitness pros. So Carl, I'm going to bring you in. Hey, Angie, how's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm honored to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, I think the last time I saw you in person, Carl, we were in downtown Chicago. So that's been a number of years, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were with uh, Dr. Brent Brookbush and Dave Betcher and had yeah. dinner and visited for hours and what a great time. It's been a yeah. while, though, four or five years. Yep. Yeah, for sure. It was a very good time. Well, Carl, I'm so happy to have you on here. I love the work that you do and working with clients with different types of dementias. And we know that Parkinson's and Alzheimer's are only two of those, but you've written a couple of books. I have your books. Um, you've written a book called Parkinson's Empowerment Training, and you've written a book called Parkinson's Regeneration Training. And so you've really taken a deep dive into working with clients who present with these concerns. And I, I think I, what I think would be best to start with is first of all, what got you interested in working with these kinds of clients? Well, thank you. Good question. So it was a complete accident. I had no intention of doing any of this. Um, I was a trainer already, NASM certified, just CPT. And I think I had done CESPES and golf and nutrition specialist 10 years ago. I did all of them in like a year or two span after the CPT. But then what happened was uh, I wanted to offer more in my scope of practice. I wanted to offer nutrition um, advice and information. So I went back to school at Syracuse University 10 years ago this month to study nutrition. In my first semester there, one of my professors approached me and asked me if I would work with him because he was losing bone density he also happened to have Parkinson's. And of course, I said yes, because he knew I was a trainer, because quite honestly, I'm a very slow learner. So I was visiting him after class often. He said, well, what do you do? I'm a trainer. Oh, I need a trainer. I don't know how to lift. So I, I said yes, except that I had no idea what to do. So it just happened to be my son was doing his PhD. Um, I'll brag for a minute. He's also an MD, but he, he does, was doing his um, PhD in neurodegeneration of the brain at Hershey Penn State College of Medicine. And I called him up and said, Nick, I, I got a situation. I told him, what do I do? He says, I don't know, but I know who knows. <laughs> so he plugged me into this network of, first of all, his mentor, Dr. Shu Mei Wong, an amazing lady, a neurologist. And so um, it led me down this path of learning what to do you know, of course, biomechanically and all that, um, 
and we wanted to do assessments with this gentleman, Jerry. He doesn't mind if I use his name. But I started working with Jerry, and I found it so interesting what was happening. I just dove in deep and started my own podcast because I figured if I can get to interview doctors and experts, I mean, they're not going to have breakfast with me or lunch or dinner. So maybe it'll be a guest on a podcast. That's how I started really learning about what to do. And it, it's led me down a career path here. It's not all that I do, but it's most of what I do. Yeah. You know, I find that kind of ingenious because not only when you started the podcast, not only did you help yourself to learn, but you helped the world at large to learn. So you used your podcast as a platform to increase your learning and development, but also to help other people. And, you know, I feel like people come to us at a certain time in our lives for certain reasons. And obviously it feels like Jerry came to you because he needed the help and you were at the right place at the right time to kind of go on this journey together and look what it inspired. I mean, you've basically devoted your entire life's work to this, right? I have. Yeah. hundred percent. And I found what I want to be when I grow up and I'm doing that right now. <laughs> just needing to learn though every single day because there isn't yeah. ever a day when I think, okay, this is it. No, as a matter of fact, sometimes I don't think I know anything Well, I know that's actually not true, but you know, going to a conference in Las Vegas this week to be a, a keynote speaker at a large Parkinson's thing. But guess what? That's only one hour. I have three days to learn and network and learn and network and learn because the geek and the inner nerd in me, that's all I really want to do on that end of things. And on the, on the other side is apply it with yeah. people. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's the more we learn, the more we know how much there is to learn. And uh, you get to share what you love at this conference, but you get to learn from other people, which makes it even more of a powerful experience. Yeah. So, Carl, all this work that you've done, you know, you started working with Jerry, you worked with your son, you got all these people on your podcast, and you really started learning, how do I help people who present with these concerns? And I, I have a question for you. And, and it's a big question, but you and I talked about it is how do we slow disease progression? Okay. Really, really good question. And I need to preface this by saying that what I share with you now, not only has to do with people with Parkinson's, dementia, Alzheimer's, it has to do, it applies to all people, every single person on this planet. Okay. Because we all have brains. We all have nervous systems. We all have neurochemicals in our brain. So the way it works, is like this. Um, research shows, and I can speak very, very succinctly on this as to what and why um, we should do. The number one, absolute, top of the list, number one way of slowing disease progression, or if you're genetically predisposed let's say to getting Alzheimer's, like in my family, or Parkinson's or cancers or whatever. Okay, so whether you have those, well, I'll speak just from the movement disorder side, neurological, I can't speak to cancer exactly, but I can speak that if you're already diagnosed with a neurological or movement disorder, or, or you're predisposed to getting one, the absolute number one way through exercise to slow disease progression or delay disease onset is cardio. Here's exactly how that works. According to research from uh, Dr. Lisa Moratori and many, many others at Stony Brook University, she is on Long Island. 
she and others say, Dr. John Rady's another one. I've had him on my podcast too. He's a best-selling author, Harvard School Meta, uh, Harvard Medical School professor. Books like Spark, which Rick Ritchie yeah. turned me on two years ago, and then Go Wild and all these other ones. The reason cardio is best is because you get your heart rate elevated. We'll talk about intensity and duration in a minute. Okay, so when you elevate your heart rate for long enough, your brain produces what is called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And in some arenas, it's called miracle growth of the brain. Okay, it's created within the brain and it circulates within the brain. And it goes all around in the brain while you're doing cardio. And it deposits itself all over these brains that are dying. Okay, you've got the substantia nigra in Parkinson's, you've got the hippocampus in Alzheimer's. Well, guess what? We we know that uh, we can slow disease progression because it, when this attaches to brain cells on a frequent basis, on a regular basis, we know that it, it acts as a neuroprotective um, hormone protein. And so it helps to delay the progression of dying cells. And then in, in, in fact, research from the Schreiber Foundation and from um, and NYU and others, it shows that it can also help to give birth to new brain cells, although only in two areas, the olfactory bulb and the hippocampus. Mm -hmm. So what's really cool, we were tracking nine people in Mexico a couple right before the pandemic. All nine of these people had Parkinson's, have Parkinson's. All nine had lost their sense of smell, either a lot or completely. And after six months of five days a week cardio, 20 minutes per day at the equivalent intensity of walking as fast as they could for 20 minutes minimum, longer is better. Um, nine out of nine got their cells back. Wow. And I have no brain imaging. It was a pilot data study. But we do a lot of research here in my clinic. I do research everywhere. And the coolest thing is that's all you have to do. And you don't even have to stand up to do it. You could be, you know, shadow boxing, you could do arm sprints for 30 seconds, 30 on, 30 off. I mean, nobody wants to do that for 20 minutes, but the uh, optimal duration is 20 minutes or longer, the equivalent intensity of walking as fast as possible for that time and safely. And then, you know, do it five, six days a week and you're going to slow down disease progression almost guaranteed. Okay. So, you know, that's an interesting, I remember reading John Roddy's book, Spark. That was, that was such a fascinating book to me. And, uh, and, you know, cognitive impairment, um, it, it runs in my family too. And so that book, I just found so fascinating. And, and honestly, the word that comes to my mind is hope. I found it hopeful because I know that, you know, my mom was not an exerciser per se. She was an active person. And so when I read John Roddy's book, I was like, gosh, really? you know, so movement and cardio. And yeah. so Carl, I want to reintroduce you. I'm talking to Carl Sterling. He's an NASM master trainer, but he's also so much more. He's done so much, so much profound work in working with those who have different types of dementias. And our segment today is how movement improves memory and cognition. And I'm the host, A.G. Miller. And again, I'm talking to Carl Sterling. So Carl is talking about, first and foremost, how do we slow disease progression? 
And the number one way, according to the research, is that we engage in cardio. And Carl, I like what you said. You don't even have to actually stand up. You yeah. can get your heart rate up by doing shadow boxing. You can, you can get your heart rate up by doing rowing. Rowing is a fantastic cardio exercise. Absolutely. Whatever works. And as I always say, there's these little caveats here and there, like do what you will do, right? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you right now, I'm not going to get on an elliptical machine. Is it good for me? Yeah, sure. I'm not doing it. There are plenty of other things I'll do, though. So mm -hmm. people do what they will do and maybe what they even like to do, but tend to do things they like. And getting started, especially in Parkinson's with a lack of dopamine, and that's a, that's a driver, not just the neurotransmitter that tells the body what to do from your brain. It's a driving force. It drives us toward, towards a degree, becoming a master trainer or becoming, doing finishing a marathon, doing this. It drives us towards the cup of coffee in the other side of the room. It drives us towards reproduction, and it's a primal thing. But when you have diminished dopamine, you get up and go might have gotten up and went but if you get up and go anyways you'll not only produce pdnf you have neurochemical soup that's produced by movement could be just walking and that includes extra dopamine right it includes pdnf yeah. serotonin all these other things so really when it comes down to it if you're able to walk if that's the least you do at least do that go for 20 minutes take a brisk walk because your body will thank you for it. And so will your brain. As a matter of fact, John Rady says in my interview with him, one of the first things he says is the part of the body that probably benefits most from any type of exercise, physical exercise, is the brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Because all our lives, you know, we, we think about all these other applications of movement and exercise, and we think about our body and the impact on our body. And that's all the media talks about. But to me, the most important thing we can do through movement is to keep our brain healthy. I can't think of anything better we can do because it, for most of us, it's not about how long we're going to live. It's how well we're going to live. And I think that as fitness professionals, as everyday people walking around out there, we want to keep our personal autonomy. So just being able to move and have that personal autonomy for activities of daily living is, is really the biggest driver. That's what makes me want to get up and move every single day. So is there anything else that you want to say about slowing disease progression? Because I have another question for you, but before I move on, I just want to make sure, is there anything besides like cardio and movement? Well, okay. So diet, I mean, we would look at where these diseases come from. I, I can only speak to Parkinson's because I know that research really well. Um, I can tell you that only 5% or so, some people, some researchers say 10, but 5 to 10% of people who have Parkinson's have a family history of it. Hmm. So what that leads us to wonder is where did it come from for those who have no family history? we'll probably never know precisely or exactly but we do know that um, well we speculate we being just the world of researchers and geeks like me who want to know as much as we can and learn there's probably something having in our food supply and i'm not going to even go down how to eat or what to eat other than say try to eat clean just generally eat good stuff you know don't deprive yourself completely I'm going to have my Snickers bar and my Doritos every now and then, but I'm not eating them every day and I'm not eating a whole bag of Doritos. 
I love them, yeah. but they don't love me back. But you know, you look at inflammation being the the source of many diseases and conditions and diagnoses, and inflammation in the gut, according to uh, another gentleman I got to meet at a Shriver luncheon in New York, actually with Marty Miller was with me on that one. And we were uh, talking with Dr. Dale Bredesen, who's written three great books. The End of Alzheimer's is the theme of the books. I was blown away when he said at the presentation and then at lunch afterwards, talking with him, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, it can all live in the gut 10, 15, 20 years before it probably takes the vagus nerve root up. It might be here a few years in the brain before you even elicit a symptom. And by the time you elicit a symptom, well, then you need to start taking, you know, maybe medications, uh, try to reverse it. It can be the thing that prompts people to exercise more. But anyways, bottom line is to answer your question, and my long-winded winded answer is diet is very important. Eating well is important. You know, we look at cancers, look at neurological things, dementias, and this and that. I could go... So I would say that's that's another great way of slowing progression. Look at the Walls Protocol, Dr. I think it's Terry Walls from England, mm-hmm. who has PPMS, the rarest form of MS. And we have people who come in here with that, who are doing better when they eat super clean, plant-based mainly, but, you know, they'll eat meat too. But, you know, there are varying opinions on that. You need to what eat what you feel is best for you as far as, you know, proteins and all that. I, it's my area of expertise also, but I'm not going to talk about it because that could go down a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Well, you know, it's what's that? and exercise your brain cognitively to practice your memory, practice cognition, practice reaction time, because all that stuff enters into the two-step neuroplastic process that will help to retrain the brain to learn to do things better, especially if you have parts of the brain that are not functioning fully. Yeah, well, and you know, I think you're spot on because there's so much more that we're learning and hearing about inflammation and the impact of inflammation on heart disease, the impact of inflammation on all types of diseases, and then the impact of inflammation on the brain. And so, and all of that then ties into gut health. And so it feels like every day now there's more and more science, there's more information coming out about gut health and the how the gut impacts the emotions and how the gut impacts our mood and how gut impacts our brain. And I just feel like 20 years from now, there's just going to be so much more information, but we're, we're starting to uncover so many uh, layers that at one point we looked at as separate entities. Okay. As if they all existed separately, but in reality, they all go together and they all impact how we continue to function throughout the lifespan. Right. They're, it, they're yeah, not 100%. And if I might, if you don't mind, I'd like to add something. And this is for the trainers out there. If there was ever a time, I mean, sadly, this is the case, but why not take advantage of the situation by learning something and trying to help people? If there was ever a time to get into a niche market, it is now. Okay. Yeah. Now, I started this quite a while ago, 10 years with Parkinson's. And now I'm totally immersed. Yes, I have a quarter of the people who come in here just looking to lose weight or get stronger or whatever. But a lot of movement disorders. Remember, all the stuff we talk about here applies to all people. Okay, so brain health. Get blood and oxygen to the brain. Get BDNF. Get dopamine, whatever. 
and cardiovascular and everything else. But we're, I'm a tail end baby boomer. I'm 61. And Six, 1964, I was born in 61. 1964 is the end of the baby boomer officially, right? 46 to 64. You know how many of those people there are? And you know, there are so many, sadly, health problems coming down the road with cancers, type 2 diabetes complications. And type, people with type 2 diabetes are six times more likely to get Parkinson's. Yeah. yeah. Um, and heart problems and all kinds of other stuff. But I think that number's right. If I'm wrong, I apologize, but there's a correlation there, okay? Absolutely. And so now's the time to find and learn and geek out on a niche because they're gonna be coming at you and they're gonna be needing help and you're gonna to wanna to be able to help them the best way possible by retraining the body, retraining the brain, I'm sorry, retraining the body, uh, brain, retraining the brain. Talk yes. about brain, I'm forgetting. Right. Well, but it makes muscle. My target muscle is your brain. That's what right. I say. And then, right. uh, yeah, now's the time. Well, and it makes complete sense because again, all of us, we, we, I think that one of the big things in our, our industry is in, in, that, in the world at large is we have this mindset of I'll deal with that when I get there. Like I'll deal with aging when I start aging. Well, we're all aging. We're all, we're, we're aging throughout our lives and maybe we're not at the age, so to speak, that we consider older age, but our brains are aging just as our bodies are aging. And a lot of times it's what we don't see that we have to be the most concerned about. And that's what I think about in terms of the brain. So again, my name is Angie Miller. This is Strong Mind, Strong Body. We're talking about how movement can improve memory and cognition. And I'm talking to Carl Sterling, and he is an NASM master instructor, the author of a couple of books about Parkinson's. And this has been his life's mission to work with those with um cognitive concerns such as those with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. So Carl, I have a question for you. Since we know that cognitive decline often accompanies Parkinson's disease, how can we improve memory and cognition? Like what do you do different in your training protocols than say the everyday trainer might do? Great question. And I'm really glad you asked that one because I'd like to talk about this. Um, I do this for everybody, not just people with cognitive decline. I do it with myself too. <laughs> so I need my own rehab sometimes. So I don't forget things. But um, if you look at the work of Dr. Andrew Huberman, who, by the way, has one of the best podcasts I've ever heard in my whole life, um, Stanford um, professor, a genius. Uh, every Monday he's, he comes out with a new episode past year and a half. So he talks about, this is what we do. When it comes to neuroplasticity, and probably a lot of people have heard of that, maybe everyone's term you work. Really simple. It just doesn't mean that it's easy. Simple doesn't mean easy always. There are two steps to neuroplasticity. This is where you're, um, you're developing new neural pathways in the brain to take on a new set of knowledge, a new set of skills, a new whatever. Maybe for people here, it could be their memory. It can be their ability to walk, rotate, move, anything. Anything you learn, like right now, if you're learning anything, your brain, it has electrical synaptical firing 
patterns happening between neurons. Here's a neuron, here's a neuron, boom. In the middle is an electrical synapse. And the more those fire together, boom, they wire together. Well, you have millions and millions and billions maybe of these who they fire together, similar to riding a bike. Once you've got it, it's because that neural path, uh, neural um, pathway of bicycle riding neural pathway has fired so much that now it has given you the ability to ride the bike. Mm -hmm. Hence the expression is just like riding a bike, because if you don't ride for a few years, then you get back on. And as long as there's no brain damage of any kind or stroke or TBI, well, you're just going to fire up that dusty pathway again. And in 10, 15 minutes, boom, there you go. You're able to ride again. You don't have to relearn. Well, this is how it works with everything we do that we learn. So neuroplasticity happens best like this. Um, for those who are over the age of 25, that would be me. It's a, you know, there's under 25, which is kids, let's say teenagers, college students, you know, up to age 25, your brain, brain is more neuroplastic and mere exposure alone to things can you just absorb it and you know maybe able to speak two languages because you speak two at home and you never really think about learning like i am fluent in spanish now however <laughs> it took a lot of work to get that way right because i didn't grow up with it but over the age of 25 step one is in whatever chunks of time you can do 30 seconds one minute two minutes five minutes 30 minutes you hyper focus on what it is you're trying to accomplish or learn could be a movement pattern, could be a skill, could be just something you're reading and trying to remember. Hyper-focus, 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 step one. When you do that, you have uh, a certain neurochemical called um, norepinephrine, and that's going to actually give you the feeling of fatigue. That's okay, that's healthy. That means maybe after a bit, it's time to take a break. But also what's happening is acetylcholine goes and marks the synaptic firing patterns for strengthening, which gets us into step two, which is sleep, hmm. adequate sleep. It doesn't mean when you hyper-focus today that you're going to sleep, if you sleep well tonight, that tomorrow you're going to be an expert at something or know everything or do everything. But it means that maybe in a week or two or three weeks, all of a sudden you wake up one day if you keep practicing whatever it is and studying. Boom. I got it. It's happened yeah. to me. And I always wondered, how can I not know this yesterday? And all of a sudden today I do. That's because I've been practicing for a month and now I got it. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's you, it's you so train cool. the brain to remember these things. And then if you sleep yeah. well, it's almost like you put all the pieces together in your sleep. Um, and, and that makes, that makes so much sense. And it's interesting that sleep again, always comes up kind of wow. like gut health always comes up. Sleep always comes up. So the other part of that is what do I do different? And I'll, I'll try to be really brief with this. Okay. Let's take a movement. Let's just say we have somebody in here on the agility ladder that's taped onto the floor, right? Um, it's like 24 rungs long. Maybe they're stepping sideways, doing a lateral movement, left to right, right to left, doing feet crossing the midline in the body because it's good for the brain to cross the midline. Okay, well, what we wanna do is teach multitasking dual tasking skills. So maybe we'll do something where they're playing catch with me. I have a ball with the complete alphabet on it. 
and it's a, it's a great tool if anyone wants info just contact me and i'll send info on all the tools i like and you know we so now we have hand-eye coordination not going on i call it i i think i coined this term not that i care it's called stacking i call it stacking you take a movement then add something onto the movement throw the ball back and forth but now it has the alphabet on it. So maybe we pick a topic, find something they like. Maybe they like cars. I'm a total car geek, right? Classic cars. So you toss me the ball. I'm moving sideways. I have hand-eye coordination. I'm moving sideways. And I, the first letter I see in the ball, maybe it's um, C. Name a car. It starts with C. Charger. 68 Charger with a Hemi engine. That's exactly my dream car. Okay, so... <laughs> maybe we uh switch topics go to geography there are different domains of cognition too it can be direct recall which is remembering something like that or capitals as cities and spell and alphabet and math spatial play catch or you know maybe they're juggling something just one ball hand to hand maybe they're just walking forward this time right but we're trying to stack on two to three things maybe even four in some cases depends upon how well they're able to so that what they get good at here let's say goes out the door with them into the activities of daily living so that when their phone rings because there are a lot of uh reasons why we do this i mean distractions are a cause uh, uh, oftentimes in parkinson's a, a a cause of freezing and freezings can increase fall risk we don't want to fall down right because number one Parkinson's population statistically statistically are complications from a fall so we got to work backwards don't fall get good at multitasking get good at movement do what you can not what you can't like Rich, rick richie always says it's a great thing that he taught me I, I love that but push yourself don't kill yourself so you know i mean i could go on and on and on because I get excited about this, you can probably tell. But there's so much we can do to stack one thing on the other and do two, three, four things at once. And that's how we target multitasking, reaction time. Cognition and memory is a whole nother thing. Well, we can do cognition and memory. We're doing cognition when we're doing that, the thing I just mentioned. But yeah. there's so much. There's just so much. It's well, more than just movement. Thinking right. and moving same time. Right. So again, I'm talking, my name is Angie Miller. This is Strong Mind, Strong Body. We're talking about how movement improves memory and cognition. I'm talking to Carl Sterling. He's an NASM master instructor, master trainer, but he's also written a couple of books on those with Parkinson's disease. And Carl is who I consider an expert to be working with those who have movement and memory disorders. And so Carl, we're talking about, we we're talking about how to build neuroplasticity, how to kind of keep that brain firing on all cylinders. And we're talking about, Carl had mentioned hyper-focusing on a task. So if you want to learn Spanish, deep diving into a little bit of Spanish every single day and then adding sleep. But what can we do as trainers? Carl calls it stacking movements. And I feel like if, you, if you're a group fitness person at all, you really get this concept because you build patterns. And that's what I think about stacking. When I'm working with my older adult population and my younger population, I stack movements. I build patterns because if they can remember patterns, they're not just going through the motions of movement. They're actually tasking their memory as they're moving. What are your thoughts on that, Carl? 
Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And it, if it's, can I just talk about one of my books real quick? Sure. It's called the second one came out last October. It's called Parkinson's Empowerment Training. It's a lot smaller of a book with a lot less words, but probably more information because I'm learning how to write better. <laughs> we talk in the first chapter, we talk about hope, belief and empowerment. You know, when I, I think the most gratifying part of what I do for me anyways, and I've seen this, I've been really, really lucky. And any of you who know me, it ain't my ego. I'm just saying I've worked my butt off and, but I've been lucky to travel to over 30 countries and teach this stuff all over the world. And right here in my clinic, I see it everywhere when somebody sometimes very quickly regains a skill that they lost or they're able to do something that they could barely do. It changes how they are. It changes their eyes change, their expression change, their posture changes because now they have hope. And you mentioned this earlier. And when you have hope, you can see further. You can see more possibility. When you see possibility, it's probably because you believe now I can do this because I did that. And then you become empowered and then you become unstoppable. Now we all have bad days and anyone who knows me knows that working out is probably never the first thing I'm in the mood to do. But I say for myself and for others, just get started because the neurochemical soup that starts churning in your brain after two, three, four, five minutes. You know, when I walk into CrossFit or I, I do it like almost every day, I hope nobody gets upset at me, but I know how to move and modify. So, <laughs> but I'm so much stronger now and I love that and I'll do it. I won't do the other stuff. I don't want to go though. I don't want to go today, but I'm going to walk in the door and I'm going to go. And within five minutes, I've got the energy and, and I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Well, I don't really don't have too much. I, I don't, haven't lost any skills, but there are people who have and remind them when they're having a bad day, do you remember this? Cause they're going to get empowered when, oh my gosh, yes, I regained the ability to roll over in bed. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Whoever thought we could lose that ability, but some people do. And you teach them how to roll and they're like, oh my gosh, the caregiver gets a break. I can do it. I can do yeah. anything. Just get started. Use your body, use your brain every day, eat well, stay hydrated, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You kind of can't go wrong. Just get started though, because you get the energy to keep going once you start. Right. And I think, Carl, if I was to give a takeaway message to everybody listening today, I would say that it's the quality of movement. It's 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 the quality of movement. It is, as you call it, stacking. I call it building patterns. It's the quality of movement. It's making sure that we're building patterns so that people have to be actually present during the experience of movement and exercise. I want them to be present. I want them to be fully engaged in the experience. And the only way to do that is to have them build patterns so that they are constantly thinking. So Carl, if anybody wants to reach you, how would they do that? Because I know I, for one, want to see like the alphabet ball that you use and some of the other tools because I work a lot with seniors. So how do they get a hold of you? Oh, good question. By the way, I just heard this the other day. Um some research that the number one cause of injuries and death 
believe it or not. Non-disease of diagnosis related in the population over 65 years are complications from falls. And that's for all humanity, well, in this country. So isn't that interesting? So we really see people losing their balances as they get older a lot of times. And I'm no exception. I mean, I'm doing a lot better now than I was 10 years ago. Bottom line is um, Carl with a K, uh, carlsterling.com, like carlsterling.com. You can go to that site and check things out. Or my email is um, carl with a K at, and it's just how it sounds exactly, neuromotortraining.com. Okay. That's the best way to get me. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, and I'm glad to share tons of information on tools, techniques. Uh, I have an institute online that's a monthly subscription. If anyone's interested, just shoot me a note. You can find it on carlsterling.com. And uh, if you want to learn, you can cancel it anytime. You do it for one month, spend $20, and now, you know, you'll learn all this stuff, yeah. all of it there. All right. Well, Carl, I really appreciate you. And, you know, we can deep dive into the falls in another episode, you and I, but I really like the way how we really reinforce that the stacking of the movement and the patterning of the movements. And uh, that's a, a primary thing to do when we're working with any population, but especially with older populations. And Carl, I also agree with you that if there was ever a time to niche and to geek out on something, we should be thinking about keeping our clients' brain healthy throughout the lifespan. So again, I'm Angie Miller. I was just speaking with Carl Sterling. Thank you so much to our FNNASM audience for joining us, and we will see you next week.